Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, our sunshine double is officially complete. We saw titles from Danil Medvedev and Petra Kvitova from the Miami Open. We also have a fantastic guest alongside for the show this week as well. Yeah, we we finally got through the Sunshine Double, which although it's only two tournaments, felt like it lasted two months in some ways, and uh, and in a good way. So much great tennis, and and this week, yeah, we're pleased to welcome back a, a recurring guest of ours at Matchpoint Canada to help break down all the action from Miami. He's one of the foremost hosts in tennis, Steve Weissman. Steve, I don't even know how you have time for us after going between <laughs> all these tournaments and now just landing in Charleston. He's he's here from a player party or a, a tournament opening party in Charleston. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank thank you for having me, Mike and Ben. Uh, you know, it's it's a whirlwind, but that's what the tennis calendar is. We know it. We love it. Um, the road to Roland Garros literally starts tomorrow on the green clay in Charleston, one of the best events of the year. Uh, so always super grateful to to be able to come here and, and, and cover this event. But as you mentioned, I mean, what a great sunshine double, other than the fact that uh, it was missing some sunshine uh, in parts, uh, you know, actual rain in the desert, which is wild. And then a, a lot of rainy nights in Miami as well that we're used to. But, um, yeah, great action on both sides, men and women. You know, what stands out to me just right away are two players, Elena Rybakina and Daniil Medvedev. You know, they both got to both finals, winning one of them, losing one of them. Um, and in Miami, you know, for Medvedev on these courts to to come through on courts that he loves. I mean, what he did in Indian Wells was impressive because he hated those courts. And then he comes to a, a fast, hard court where he dominates. And there you go. How about how about a fourth title in five weeks? The guy's absolutely on fire. And Rabakana has just been this ice cold killer uh, all year long. And it's been really cool to to talk to her a little bit in Indian Wells after a bunch of her wins. And then to see her continue to do her thing in Miami match after match, really, until that that epic tiebreak <laughs> uh, oh against Petra Kvitova that looked like it was never going to end and then kind of ran out of steam in that second set. But uh, yeah, those two players, you know, really stand out to me. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting because, you know, Danil Medvedev winning this title and it's almost... I don't want to call it an under the radar title, but of course it was, you know, Carlos Alcaraz for the most part stealing all these headlines with can he retain that world number one ranking, going for the Sunshine Double, uh, and then sort of that electric semifinal that he played with Yannick Sinner. I, I want to ask you about not just that match, but maybe seeing this evolving rivalry play out, Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz. I, I mean, when I watch those two play, I'm thinking I'm I'm seeing a glimpse into the future of the sport, and it looks like a, a pretty nice glimpse, I must say. I totally agree, Ben. And it's I, I would say it's an awesome look ahead. And they've we've already seen them play six times. And so that they've actually developed a rivalry where they've played each other more than anyone else on tour, which is really cool for a 19-year-old and a 21-year-old. And you can see them pushing each other to get better, which is what we saw, you know, with Roger, Rafa, and Novak throughout their careers. Um, and you're seeing some of these points develop that look identical. I mean, uh, on Twitter, somebody posted uh, a shot that Sinner hit that was pretty much identical to something that Djokovic hit in, in a pass against Alcaraz. And that, that match was electric. That one point, you know, that 25-shot rally, for me right now, is the, is the point of the year. Um, they, they push each other physically like none other. And by the way, 
you do have to put in the caveat that Djokovic wasn't there. And, you know, I, I still think, and he is number one in the world again. And he's he still for, for my money is, is the best player in the world, but with him not there, you know, those two uh, with their youth, with their physicality, with their movement and everything that they bring, even energy wise. I mean, I was hyped by how Sinner has really developed this kind of swagger on court. And that, that's something that Carlitos has always had. And he always really fires up the crowd and gets everybody involved. Uh, but I think it took a little longer maybe for, for Yannick to be comfortable in his own skin. I think, I think he's even developing more of that right now, but after that point, you know, getting the crowd up and, and encouraging them with his hands. And we saw that throughout the entire tournament. In fact, even in that final, I mean, he wasn't happy just to be there. He looked really upset that he lost that match to Medvedev. And that, that really stood out to me that, yeah, it's his second 1000 final. They both come in Miami and it's not a guy that that's getting there week after week, but I think he expects to win now and he expected to win that match. And you know, it it wasn't a moral victory to get to that final in Miami, and I love to see that from him because he's exciting. I'm I'm glad you mentioned uh, how you know Djokovic wasn't there, not that that was anything the other players could control, of course. But it's kind of interesting that the number one ranking seems to be going back and forth earlier in the season, and Djokovic and Alcaraz haven't even faced each other yet in 2023. <laughs> like, I'm so stoked to see them play some big matches, whether it's semifinals or finals and actually trade blows back and forth for this number one ranking. How about you? Absolutely, Mike. I mean, that that's something that we've been yearning for all, all season long. And I hope it happens on the clay because, you know, we, we've seen them play each other before and, and they're fantastic matchups and, and, and Alcaraz can beat the guy. And, you know, um, I want to see it on a hard court. So we're going to, we have to wait a little longer for that, but uh, it, it'll still be super exciting and, and really long points and, just to get to see somebody, you know, push Novak Djokovic um, right now. And, and I think Carlitos can do that. Um, I still, by the way, you know, don't count out Rafa. <laughs> that man is still the best, in my opinion, the best clay court player in the world if he's in a draw. So I don't care if he's played zero lead ups to Roland Garros or whatever tournament he decides to come back. I know he's into Monte Carlo. There's been some, you know, reports over whether that's where he's going to return or not. Uh, we've seen him out on the practice courts and reports that he's practicing five days a week. And like I said, you know, three to five sets I, in, until somebody beats him, he, he's the guy. So Absolutely. I, I, I want to see Carlos play him as well. And I, I want to see those mat, those intergenerational matchups. So Carlitos going head to head with Novak and Carlitos going head to head uh, with Rafa. And, you know, it, it's rare when you get, those those different generations you know at their peak and i still think he's number one in the world novak djokovic is at that peak and rafa won two grand slams last year you know i don't know what his injuries are like but if he's healthy he's still at that peak as well so that's that's really thrilling for me as well yeah i've, I've always loved it when you see one generation before they hang up the racket get to play the one that's upcoming and you hope that they get to have some matches that are meaningful and and showcasing both players and their talent still I mean, we only saw Sampras Federer that, that one time. Uh, Agassi Federer, we got a few of those, which Andre got the first few, if memory serves correctly. But but then Federer was pretty dominant in uh, in 04 and 05. So that was a tough ask for Andre. But um, yeah, Djokovic and Nadal to me are both. And, and Djokovic especially, I mean, maybe it's because in part of the time that, that he had off last year, but he is still looking like he's, you know, in his late 20s or early 30s. 
Um, and, and so that's going to be super interesting. We kind of got the the preview uh, in the Sunshine Double of, of what a post-Big 3 ATP Tour is going to look like with no Novak, no Nadal, and, and Roger obviously now retired. And it's given me all kinds of good vibes. Like, I was a little bit concerned earlier on, but now I'm feeling like, you know what? I think the men's game is going to be in decent hands with people like Alcaraz and Sinner. How do you feel about the direction the ATP Tour is uh, inevitably heading once uh, Nadal and, and Djokovic do hang up their their rackets? Yeah, that's spot on, Mike. I, I could not agree more. I mean, you you worry because you're like, these guys are absolute legends that we think will never, you know, those, those records will never be reached. Well, we thought that about Pete Sampras as well, and we thought that before him. And so, you know, uh, why not? You know, why won't these guys get 20 majors and more? And I, I think that's that's hard to kind of fathom at this point in somebody's career, but a guy like Carlitos Alcaraz has already done things that none of those guys did getting to number one uh, as a teenager, you know, when winning the U S open when he did and um, you know, accomplishing a, a lot of the records that, that he's setting right now. So um, when, when you enter any tennis tournament, I think the storylines kind of show themselves no matter who is there and there is always compelling action. And so um, I completely agree that whether, the big three are there or not. Uh, the matchups and and the players that are going to rise to the top are still going to be incredibly compelling. One one person I just got to give some love to is, is Chris Eubanks, who I work with at Tennis Channel. And, you know, finally cracked into the top 100 is now, I believe, around like 85, uh, making, you know, coming from qualies all the way to the quarterfinals. And there's a story like that. And, and maybe you knew who Chris Eubanks was and maybe you didn't. But now now you do. And now you also see a guy like Jamie Foxx, who is an absolute global superstar, coming to watch this kid play. And, it, you know, and, and they're good buddies. And so that takes tennis to another level. And we saw Luka Doncic there and, and so, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler and all these, you know, big time basketball players. Chad Ochocinco was there. So tennis is fine. I mean, tennis uh, is going to have its superstars no matter who's out on the court. Um and, and I think we're in, in great shape, whether it was Francis Tiafo at Indian Wells coming through, same thing he did at the U.S. Open. Whenever he goes deep in a draw, gosh, I am, I am, I am dialed in. And we haven't even seen Nick Kyrgios on the court for a while, right? And that's a, <laughs> that's true. And that's a box office guy. So, you know, we didn't have Kyrgios, we didn't have Djokovic, we didn't have Nadal, and yet we're stoked on the game right now. And that says a lot. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I actually had the privilege of speaking with Chris Eubanks, uh, in February for an episode. Uh, so if you haven't checked that one out, he was a great interview. I think I asked him, like, can Chris, can you give me five minutes? And uh, he spoke for 15. So that, that was awesome. Um, I I suppose we should touch a little more on the men's champion for Danil Medvedev. I mean, he now has 19 titles. Very, very interesting that they're all in different cities, uh, which is just a fascinating statistic, I find. And, you know, you talked about the older generation with Djokovic, Nadal. We talk about the younger ones with Alcaraz, Sinner, and then Medvedev is sort of in that middle pack. And and for me now, I think he's very clearly kind of supplanted career-wise your Zverevs and your teams. And, you know, I think the next stage, Steve, can he translate being one of the greatest hardcore players in the world to the next surface of clay and then grass? I think he can. Um, it was interesting when he was talking on Tennis Channel after his win today about those 19 wins in, in 19 different cities. 
he said, I, I'd love to be able to defend one. You know, <laughs> I, I love all my 19 trophies, but it sure would be great to have two from one of these fantastic cities as well. Um, so, it, so it is somewhat of a, an odd statistic, but it just shows how good he can be any given week. Um, and listen, he, he's made quarterfinals and semifinals at, at Masters 1000s on clay and, and at Roland Garros last year. So um, I think he's got that love-hate relationship with the surface but he he knows that he uh, has the game that can do it. Um, I think what he said today was that he needs to start quickly. He can't really get behind or, or bring a, a C level and expect to come back on the clay like he can on a hard court. But if he starts quickly and uh, is able to to get on top and, and, you know, play his game, he can be extremely successful. I, I don't see why not his movement is really second to none. The, the length he gets on the, on, out on every aspect of the court and add to that his serve, which I don't know if it's talked about enough, but Mm -hmm. he's got one of the best serves on the ATP tour. So uh, that translates to any surface. In my opinion, the grass should be fine for him as well. Um, I I definitely think he's, you know, gotten past the, the Sitsipas Zverev. I feel so bad for Dominic. Dominic team right now is this conundrum of, you know, we talk about, tennis and then being a mental sport and i think it's 90 percent mental basically and that's where he is he's in his head right now i think physically he's he's back to where he needs to be and he just needs to get a couple of, of big wins and get past that mental hump and then i i hope to see the old team back zverev geez if if he had not gone down in that horrific injury at roland garros last year i think he could have won that whole tournament I think he could have beaten Rafa that day, and I think he could have won it all. He was playing the best I've ever seen him in that match, so that's tragic. What happened to Medvedev last year, not being able to play Wimbledon? I don't think that's spoken enough about in terms of what that has done, what that did to his game last year, uh, and what that can do to him you know, mentally as well. Um, Elena Rabakina should be a top three player, like no doubt right now, mm-hmm. and you know, um, winning Wimbledon and not getting those points. So you know, for those, it's tough, you know, because I, I, I totally empathize with both sides there. But for a guy like Medvedev, I think that really hurt him. And now we're seeing what he can do once again. And, you know, this run of, you know, 24 and one over the last 25 matches with a final at literally every event. Um, I, I don't believe in this day and age, there's just a player that is only good on hard or is only good on clay. I mean, grass is a little different, but it's even more homogenous right now so I, I truly believe if you're a top player you're good on every surface yeah very very well said and uh, i guess that that sort of brings me to transitioning to the clay season and as you get ready for charleston which is of course the women's event but also men's i mean what are maybe some of the biggest storylines i think we've probably hit on a couple you know rafa's form if he can return a potential djokovic alcaraz tussle it feels like there's a lot to watch for uh before we do get to our second slam of the season yeah i mean for me it's seeing novak again you know because yeah when 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 he left you know he was he was at the top he got back to number one you know um and then unfortunately because just because of the way the government rules are he's he's not able to play two tournaments where he has been extremely successful in his career. Um, And so now, you know, just kind of by Alcaraz not being able to defend the title, uh, he's back to number one and is, in my opinion, the the best player in the world. Um, It's not just a ranking. Sometimes it's just a ranking to me until somebody beats him on a consistent basis. 
he's the best. So I, I've got my eyes on him. And I do want to see, you know, how, how Rafa is when, wherever he returns. Once again, uh, if he does not, I mean, he's won Monte Carlo 11 times. If he returns in Barcelona, he's won that 12 times. Uh, you know, he's, he's won Rome 10 times uh, and, and Madrid five more. So it, wherever he comes back, there, there's plenty of good memories to come from. And then you've got the 14 at Roland Garros. But um, that he, he's, he is the man to beat on that surface no matter what. And so when we weren't able to see two of the greatest players, not only of all time, but of right now, um, that that's what my eyes are on. Uh, obviously, the young players I'm, I'm always excited about, but you know w- when we can still witness the greats in their prime, that that you know is pretty cool. I, I just got to say, I'm so impressed with you guys starting to talk clay court tennis because my brain is like not there yet. You know, it's still <laughs> in the hard court mode, Steve. I don't know how you're going to make that quick flip to Charleston and 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 just switching on to that surface because for me, I feel like I need a week just to decompress from all this hardcore action and uh i'm gonna ask you just a couple more questions uh you know about miami you know and hold on to my hardcore uh, my love of hardcore here uh (laughs) but i did want to touch upon what petra kvitova did which just seemed super special and and she's such a special individual ben was saying to me before uh we we started recording how he had a tweet this week that just blew up about uh what she accomplished and especially after everything she's been through and i mean we've been so abuzz about this kind of big three on the WTA with Rubakina, Sabalenka, and Sviantec. And and here we have the 33-year-old Kvitova reminding us, hey, wait a minute, you know, we got some depth on the women's tour still, and and she's someone not to forget. What what did you make of her big run there in Miami? You can't not like her, right, Mike? I mean, I, I truly believe she it's her comeback is one of the greatest sports uh, human comebacks in, in history. Um to go through what she went through, to be told you'll never be able to really hold a tennis racket again right, and right. then get back to the level that she's at now. But even, you know, in 2019, I remember she told me making the final at the Australian Open in 2019 meant more to her than winning the two Wimbledon titles. And I believe it. Um, you know, that that took so much physical uh, strength, but an enormous amount of emotional and, and mental fortitude to be able to, to step back on a court and, and perform at at that level. And so what she did in Miami, it doesn't surprise me because when she's at her top gear, it's really tough to stop her. That leftiness is, is, uh, is something special and she's a big hitter. And when, when she's serving well and hitting well, it's, it's kind of lights out. And then that's what we saw. I mean, to beat Elena Rabakina, who, for the Sunshine Double, I mean, she was the best, you know. She was the best player during the Sunshine Double as a whole. And and Kvitova went out and, and gutted out that victory. And so um, I like the fact that we still have, you know, and I, by the way, 33 to me is young. So it's not like, you know, that that's younger than, than Novak and Rafa and Andy and a whole bunch of other guys. So um, – I, I was really impressed by it. I, I love to see it. She couldn't be a, a, a better human. And, um, you know, uh, on, on that, that type of surface, it was, uh, it was cool. I hope, I hope she makes another big major run as well. I think she probably still has that in her, but you know, there were rumblings last year of her maybe retiring. So, right, right. Um, you know, to, to see her doing what she's doing now, it's really inspiring to be honest. 
Yeah, would would really like to see something special happen at Wimbledon with her. Wouldn't that be nice too? Um, hey, I'm sure you've spoken with Petra before many times, and and I'm just curious between Indian Wells and and Miami this year, were there any uh, player interactions you had either live on air or behind the scenes that that kind of stand out? If you can take our listener into uh, you know sort of the fun that you get to have with your role and and have these you know sometimes unscripted moments with uh, with players that. Undoubtedly, you've developed a pretty good rapport with, I would imagine, too, over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, it was fun because I was with Prakash on the desk at Indian Wells and, you know, he's the best and so much uh, great energy coming out of him. And I'm a big energy guy. And so we kind of feed off of each other. And there was this one moment um, when we were interviewing Andy Murray and Andy's got an incredibly great sense of humor. Um, You know, you see him on the court. And for the the first portion of his career, you know, it always annoyed me to see kind of him grumbling point after point after point. Same and here. now I just love it because I because I know him and, and I love him as a person. And I just know that he's a completely different human and he's so cool and so funny. And so one point, you know, he, he had he's had this entire year, some incredible comebacks Um, and the longest matches the dudes on on court, like three and a half hours for three setters. And so when he came back, uh, I think it was his first round match at Indian Wells. And we had him after maybe his second round win. So Prakash is talking to him and he's like, we were, we we were all cheering you on, man. And we were like, get him King, get him King. And so, I lost it. And Andy just like his like jaw dropped. It was just like, what are you talking about for <laughs> And whenever you get Andy Murray to break, it's just an awesome moment. Um, so, so that was really cool. Um, getting to, to spend time with, with Elena multiple times at Indian Wells was great because I actually, I was able to interview her when she won Wimbledon as well. And I, I feel like I get more emotion out of her on the desk than you actually see on the court. Right. Like she'll, she'll win yep. a big match and it's just like, all right, well, you know, no big deal. on to the next. Um, but you know, she's got an infectious smile, just a great personality. Um, told she has this little fish next to her, uh, or under her name on Instagram. And I didn't, I was like, what's that about? And she's like, Oh, it's my name. Like Ribakina means fish in Russian. And like, my friends called me uh, Ribka and it's like fish or whatever. And I was like, oh, all right. Learn something new about you. And I mean, she's just like super honest and open and uh, couldn't be more charming. And so I thought that was great. Um, you know, the, the, I'll actually tell you one anecdote just about tonight. So I'm at this, you know, Charleston event and Angebur is one of my favorites and we've gotten to know each other over the years. And so we're talking and I think her, her chiropractor trainer had like worked on Prakash's back in Miami. And so I was like, Hey, like, is he here in Charleston? He wasn't. Cause I, I have right now an issue with my upper cervical spine and some herniated discs. And um, well, I got a herniated too. Welcome to the club. Okay. Which one are you? Which uh, uh, mine's down low. I forgot an L five. It's uh, it's down at the base there somewhere. It's gotcha. causing me all kinds feel, of uh, problems. I feel really yeah. left out here. Jeez. <laughs> well, you'll, no, you'll you're get great, this ben. in 10 years, Ben. You'll get this in about 10 years, buddy. <laughs> great. You don't, excited. You don't want any of this. Mine's like <laughs> C4, C5, C5, C6. And I'm doing some PT now and hopefully won't need surgery. And so Anz is like telling me all these things to do. And the story about her friend who, um, was in this horrific accident and the his back was all messed up and was started doing meditation and um, really 
like healed himself, which was incredible. And then she had this book that she like uh, was able to find just the things that are wrong with with my body specifically and how that relates to how you deal with things emotionally um and like forwarded me all this stuff and it like just couldn't be a nicer person and was like totally invested in trying to make me a healthy human so um, is part of your team is that what i'm getting from this that's now? right that's yeah. right yep exactly she's my ambassador of kwan <laughs> uh, so uh and actually, I had a great conversation with, with Dasha Kazakina, who's, you know, a former winner here and I think is going to have a great clay court season. And she's doing these YouTube um, vlogs that I don't know if, if you've caught them yeah, or not, a couple. Mm-hmm. but they're awesome. Um, and that's going to continue here in Charleston. And uh, yeah, so um, it, it's just great to be able to, you know, humanize these incredible athletes and know them on a more personal level. A- anytime I get to talk to Francis, it's a complete like laugh fest. You know, we, we got to talk to to him quite a bit at Indian Wells and him and his tones and just like all like the funky things that he, you know, puts out there on social media. Um, got to talk to his dad uh, quite a bit. Who's also a very inspiring individual um, just really positive and, and great energy. And you can see where Francis gets it from when you spend a little time with his dad. So um, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to a fun week here. And, and I don't, I don't think we can not talk about Miami without, you know, a little, a little Bianca Canada mm-hmm. talk. I know, I know it's uh, sad, yeah. the injury, but how great was she doing? I mean, to see BB, you know, back at that level, and, you know, going through Radicanu and Sakari and Kennan and being, you know, right neck and neck with Alexandrova until, unfortunately, she twisted that ankle. Um, that that had me hyped because I am a huge BB fan and think when she plays, it just raises the entire level of the tour um, and, and she's electric. And so I, I feel like she's not going to be out that long just from the social media posts and the kind of brevity um, or levity that, that she, she put out there as well. Um, but that, that's gotta be like, that had to be fun to watch for, you know, for match point Canada. That's yeah. what makes it so frustrating though, eh, Ben, because you see that and then, Oh, it has to end that way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we know she's, she's had just tremendously bad luck with, with injuries. And I, I think when that, that moment occurred on court, of course, it was horrific hearing her cry out in pain that I really did fear for the worse. And uh, I think, you know, the, the diagnosis is, is not as bad as I anticipated. So hopeful that she won't be out too long. And I know Steve will have a uh, Canadian Layla, Annie Fernandez also in Charleston too, trying to get some momentum. She's been playing some awesome doubles actually alongside Taylor Townsend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she'll be, they obviously made the final in Miami and um, they are playing doubles together here as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think this is, this can be a good surface for Layla. So um, I'm always excited to watch her play. I, I think she brings great energy to the court and has uh, incredible talent and ability. And um, just for her and, and Emma Raducanu, you know, it's tough to come from, for Emma was from nowhere and for Layla was from, well, you know, not not exactly there uh, to to a major final. Uh, that, that's a lot of pressure to back up, but I think she's handled that extremely well. Um, I love seeing her on all those commercials and and really um, utilizing that, you know, to for herself and 
putting Lululemon on the map in the, in the tennis world um, and, and drinking that orange juice that uh, I, I hope they have good, fresh squeezed orange juice. I'm sure they do here. Uh, that that's her secret power. I knew you were going to mention that at some point. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, it's uh, always a pleasure to get your, your insights and, and knowledge. Uh, we love the work that you, you do on the desk and always great to have you back on Matchpoint Canada. Oh, thank you so much, Ben. Really appreciate you, Mike. Uh, thank, thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to a fantastic road to Roland Garros. And Charleston's going to be amazing. And then, you know, we lead up to Paris. And that, that's that's my favorite of the year. So um, looking forward to seeing how the stories evolve, because whatever we may say today, it'll probably be something completely different. Yeah, well said, buddy. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you get some rest after this tournament. OK, you deserve it. Will do. Thanks so much, guys. There you have it, uh, chatting with Steve Wiseman. And Mike, just to carry on a little bit about Bianca Andreescu's injury, she did share that she tore two ligaments in that ankle, but we saw a couple videos of her rehabbing. Safe to say she won't be there for Canada for the Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers in Vancouver, but you know maybe we do see her back on court within a month or so. I, I, I expect her to play clay court tennis, I'll at least say that. Yeah, I sure hope so, because I like, you know, you could feel in Canada this collective groan amongst tennis fans when that happened and your heart just absolutely breaks for her because, you know, and as Steve was mentioning, as you get to know players behind the scenes, you know, God knows you and I have gotten to know Bianca quite well over the years. I'd say of all the Canadian players, she's the one that I personally know know the best going back to I think she was 15 the first time I, I spoke with her. And so it's just awful to see her have to go through something like that yet again. And, and, you know, thank goodness that it wasn't worse than, you know, or as bad as we initially feared when she went down and then had to be wheeled off the court. And, you know, as Steve mentioned, she was playing some absolutely terrific tennis. Even if you go back to Indian Wells in defeat to Iga Sviantek, I thought she really rattled the world number one there for a while, too. So hopefully she's able to get back to this level when she does return to the courts, whether it's on clay or grass. And uh, and hopefully for tennis fans here in Canada at, uh, you know, the National Bank Open this summer in Montreal, they get to see her live and playing the same kind of hardcore tennis that uh, we all know she's capable of. Yeah, and at least I, I feel like she's in really positive spirits about it, you know, to be open and public and sharing what happened and giving those injury updates for, for me, that's a really good sign. If we just touch on some other action like Layla Annie Fernandez said making the doubles final with Taylor Townsend I know doubles obviously doesn't get the same excitement and there were some complaints that actually the match wasn't aired in Canada which is unfortunate I'd love for it to be uh watchable for for fans but I think when you are playing good tennis and doubles it can blend it into some confidence for your singles and I think for Charleston she's going to have a bit of an easier draw to sort of navigate and sink her teeth in to rather than facing a top 10 player, you know, in the second round. Doubles can totally just lift your mood as a tennis player. And, and I don't just mean for professional tennis players, but I always used to be a little bit uh, of a snob when it came to my own tennis playing. I only wanted to play singles, didn't make the time for doubles. And now, you know, as I'm in my, my early 40s here, definitely playing more doubles, enjoying it a ton. It makes me just in a better mindset when I then go out to play singles. And it also adds some, you know, tools to my very limited repertoire in terms of feeling more comfortable going to the net, which I do more often now in singles. So I think for Layla Annie Fernandez, who we still haven't seen sort of click into high gear in her singles game, 
since that injury last year on on the clay of Roland Garros. Maybe this doubles is what's going to carry through, make her feel more positive, and and undoubtedly get back to um, you know some more winning tennis in her singles game too. I think. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I should mention Catherine uh, Sebov, who we know did fantastic in Miami, qualifying, winning a, a match in the WT 1000 event. She's also qualified for Charleston with two wins, won comfortably both matches in straight sets. So she's carrying over that momentum, just playing really the best tennis of her career. And she's through to the main draw, which is another great result already. Well, you'd have to think maybe she'd be in consideration then for the Billie Jean King Cup um, tie against yeah, Belgium in two definitely. weeks in Vancouver, depending on her schedule. And which, I mean, often some of these players, they need to go to the tournament to get the ranking points. Um, and now she's creeping up towards the top 100, which would really be something. Um, but I think she might be a viable option to bring in there as that, uh, you know, maybe if you need someone to come in off the bench to help Rebecca Marino and uh, Lily Lanny Fernandez in singles. Great option for sure. Uh, we will touch on this. Um, I'm not so ex- excited about this conversation, but we had a pickleball. Is this what I put slam. in our prep sheet here? Is this what? <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. I figured. Yes, okay, go the... lead it. You lead it. Okay. Well, we had the uh, pickleball slam event between uh, between Andre Agassi and uh, Andy Roddick playing doubles against John Macaro and and Michael Chang. I watched a couple of highlights. I will admit, I didn't I didn't actually watch the match. Um, I'll let you give your thoughts on pickleball be- <laughs> before I weigh in. Well, any of my buddies, uh, you know, here in my neighborhood uh, who I play tennis with will know how I feel about pickleball because I keep turning them down every time they ask me to come out and play with them. So I've yet to actually try it. So, you know, full disclosure, I should probably do that before I, I, you know, say anything criticizing the sport. But so I'll try and stay positive. I think it's cool that you get guys like Agassi, Roddick, McEnroe and Chang out there. Uh, Definite entertainment value, just their personalities. I enjoyed a lot of the Instagram stories leading up to the event. Uh, I, I don't really like the fact that it was being played simultaneous, you know, time-wise to finals of a tennis tournament in Miami. I feel like, you know, can't these racket sports all find a way to, to get along? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, being the nostalgic guy I am with that era of especially men's tennis, uh, it was just cool for me to see those four guys back out there on a court, even though it's not the court I'd like to see them on. Yeah, that that's well said. Uh, look, I have absolutely nothing against pickleball players. Uh, you're welcome to play pickleball. It, anything for fun and exercise. If you enjoy it, it's going to help your hand-eye coordination. You get some great exercise. Awesome. I just don't think it has any viability as a sport you can watch on television. That's my view. It, it doesn't move with that same speed and, and aura that tennis has. I, I just don't think it's going to click on TV for people. That's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people will absolutely love it. But for example, I saw just like that one point highlight of a couple great reflex volleys from John McEnroe. Okay. He hit some nice shots, but if that's the best point they had to offer from, from the event, I'm not, I'm not sold. That was no uh, sinner versus Alcaraz kind of point. That's for sure. (laughs) Exactly. uh, Just before we wrap here, I want to say Johnny McEnroe, what phenomenal shape that guy is in. I can't recall how old he is. He's in his early 60s, I think. But my goodness, is he ever fit? Agassi was joking that he's still fitting into the same clothes he wore when he was on tour all those years ago. Yeah, he he looks uh, in in phenomenal shape at age 64. So great for John McEnroe. Thanks so much to our guest, Steve Wiseman, for joining us for this episode. Guys, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada, and we will talk to you next time.